Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Suzanne Blimson. Today, in News in Focus, we're looking at Donald Trump's decision to reimpose sanctions on Iran, putting it at odds with European allies who still support the 2015 nuclear accord. The biggest impact will be felt on November 4th, which is the US-imposed deadline for countries to stop importing Iranian crude. Oil prices have already risen sharply in anticipation. Rula Khalaf discusses the US move and its repercussions with Najme Bazorgmer, Katrina Manson and Michael Peel. Katrina, let me start with you. Can you remind listeners what the nuclear accord was and why the US decided to pull out? Well, this was a very hard-won deal. It was the pinnacle of foreign policy achievement under the Obama administration. And in 2015, after a series of back-channel talks, the US and Iran came together with the UK, France, Germany, Russia and China to sign a deal that stopped any effort by Iran to develop a nuclear weapon in its tracks. The EU also signed it and the UN Security Council endorsed it. So it's a big multi-party deal that took a long time to negotiate and basically stopped Iran from developing a nuclear bomb. And that is what Trump says he wants to achieve, but he just doesn't think the deal is the right way to do it. He called the deal the worst deal ever when he pulled out in May. And his two main arguments are that it doesn't actually stop Iran from developing a nuclear weapon. He claims that Iran's missile program is developing at pace and could, in theory, be capable of hosting nuclear warheads. And more than that, he says Iran's behaviour throughout the Middle East hasn't changed and a lot more needs to change. He accuses them of meddling in countries across the Middle East. He thinks leaving this deal is the best way to put them under pressure to get them to change. Najme, Iran is still abiding by the agreement and it's following the international rule-based order. Everybody supports Iran and the U.S. is isolated. However, the impact of the U.S. withdrawing from the nuclear deal is being felt very strongly in Iran. Can you tell us what are people struggling with now? The biggest impact has been on the economy. Even before the U.S. reimposed sanctions in August, Iran's currency market had become volatile, and it was in anticipation of crippling U.S. sanctions. The national currency started declining from the beginning of this year. It has gone down by four or five times against the U.S. dollar. It's pretty devastating for the population and for business in particular. Both are affected massively. Iranians and businesses live under uncertainty, basically. But do you see any shortages, for instance, of imports in supermarkets? In terms of basic commodities, we don't see any shortage. We don't even see big jump in prices. But imports have declined. And this has been affecting businesses because foreign currency revenues have been shrinking. There is less access to foreign currencies for importers and prices of goods are going up. And businesses, many of them are considering closure or layoffs. Many workers are losing their jobs. So the uncertainty about prices, jobs, these are the things that are affecting people the most. And it's going to get tougher. Katrina, just how tough are the sanctions the U.S. is threatening now? Because there are new ones coming in, right? That's right. As Najme says, in August, the Trump administration reimposed nuclear sanctions against 
things like gold, coal, steel, cars, debt and even carpets. And that has already had a significant effect. But on November the 4th, it's the second phase. And this really is going to have a very strong effect on the economy because it targets oil. So Iran is an oil exporter and the US says that it will penalise anyone who buys Iranian oil. It says it wants zero exports from Iran on that. It also is going to target ports, the central bank, insurance, any kind of financial transactions. More than that, even as people try to understand how that will affect them, they're squeezing any business to cut off dealings with Iran and say, even after November the 5th, once these sanctions take effect, they expect to do even more. And that's led many people to think that really the ultimate aim of the US policy in Iran is regime change. The Trump administration denies that in public. But what's clear is that the Americans definitely want for Iran to suffer a great deal more than they're already suffering. Najme, what are the expectations? How much will Iran's oil exports fall? Iran's oil exports have already fallen. Earlier this year, Iran exported 2.8 million barrels per day of crude and oil condensates, and it has gone down to around 1.6, 1.5 now. I know some American officials have talked about wanting to bring them down all the way to zero, which obviously uh, won't happen. But what's the expectation? What do you hear from Tehran? Many analysts in Tehran say this is impossible. And if this is the target that the U.S. is seeking, it will be a failure for the U.S. Because China, Iran's top customer, is determined to continue oil purchases from Iran because India will continue, even though India will probably decrease its oil imports from Iran. Of course, a distinction between private and state companies, right? The states are still going to. Yes. European big oil companies probably won't handle Iran's oil exports and financial transactions by big European banks won't happen. But Iran is relying on bartering oil for goods. Iran is relying on China, India, its traditional customers. Iran is also hoping that European signatories to the nuclear deal will work out a good mechanism by which both European and non-European countries can continue to buy Iran's oil and handle transactions through a new financial system, the details of which will be announced later. And Iran is also looking into using its private sector companies or middlemen who are linked to armed forces or power centers to handle some of the oil exports. And another thing outside oil is non-oil exports. Iran's non-oil exports over the first six months of this Iranian year amounted to $22 billion. It's even higher than what Iran needs for all its imports. So that is something that makes Iranians confident. That's a good source of foreign yeah, currency. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, Michael, the Europeans have been very big players in this crisis, and they've said that they will still support the nuclear accord. They're desperate to keep it alive and to convince the Iranians not to pull out. So what is it that they've been trying to do? Because so far, they seem to have satisfied the Iranians. Yes, the Europeans see this as something very important to the security. They say Iran is complying and they want to keep the deal going. What they have done so far is to introduce measures which try to sustain the trade and the commercial links which were crucial to 
getting Iran to agree to the curbs on its nuclear program. So after Mr. Trump withdrew from the deal, the Europeans revived a 1990s era so-called blocking statute, which was supposed to shield European companies from the impact of US sanctions. This not only says that European companies don't have to comply with US sanctions, it actually forbids them from doing so. So in theory, EU countries could take legal action against companies that follow US sanctions. This has left European companies technically in a bind. Do they follow US laws or do they follow European laws? But in practice, that decision is a very easy one for big companies because given the choice between getting into trouble with the US and facing possibly stiff sanctions from the Trump administration and doing a relatively modest amount of business in Iran, well, that's obvious that they will comply with what the Americans have been doing. And that's why we've seen a succession of European companies in the last few months talking about how they're pulling back from Iran. Now, the latest thing the Europeans have rolled out is a special purpose vehicle, which Najmeh mentioned. The objective here is to try to encourage SMEs, small and medium-sized companies, right? Yes, exactly. Diplomats here know the calculus. They know that big international companies, in the end, will follow what the US wants because they're afraid of the reaction. So privately, they admit that anything they do is more likely to help only small and medium-sized companies that have few or no links with the US. But that shows that a big part of this is symbolic in that the Europeans want to demonstrate to Iran that they are trying and that they are serious and credible when they say to Iran they want to continue. The big question is, will that be enough? Because if business collapses in uh, oil and other sectors because companies are running away, will Iran eventually conclude that there's just not enough in this for us and say to the Europeans, well, thanks for trying, but you know, it just doesn't work for us anymore? One very specific issue is over SWIFT, the payments messaging system. Michael, can you explain a little bit what SWIFT is and why it's caught up in this? Well, SWIFT is a very interesting organization. It's a cooperative based in Belgium, which is responsible for financial messaging, which underpins business transactions throughout the world. And it has been caught up in this because the latest round of US sanctions will forbid SWIFT from doing transactions that are Iran-related. There is perhaps a small window, at least from the point of view of Europe, to petition for SWIFT to be given a special status. One of the reasons for that is that SWIFT has a value to the United States because it gives visibility. In other words, that um, the Americans, given that it's a European-based organization, can see the transactions that go through it. If that stops and all Iran-related business starts going through maybe a rival mechanism set up by Russia, China or someone else, the US loses the visibility over all those transactions. That's very interesting. Katrina, what do you hear in DC? Do you think that there will be a carve-out for SWIFT? I think the administration is still deciding. You've got a couple of different camps. The hardliners in the administration and on the Hill reject all of these other arguments and say it's very clear that Iran needs to be absolutely cut off from any financial transactions come November the 5th. Now, the Treasury is in a slightly awkward position because they would certainly not like to sanction SWIFT itself. They don't necessarily need to sanction SWIFT, they could designate the banks themselves without actually taking an enforcement action against SWIFT. Now, some people I've spoken to on the European side have said that every time they've tried to appeal for more leniency, they've just reached complete blockage and that the administration isn't listening to their arguments. 
some of the hardliners see a fight coming down between Secretary Mnuchin in the Treasury and Ambassador Bolton, who's the national security advisor to Trump and has always been very hardline on Iran. And he specifically called out Swift a couple of weeks ago, saying that Swift was just facilitating the evil escapades of the world's leading state sponsor of terror. So I think it's quite clear that opinion is divided and that what could happen is that big banks and the central bank would be cut off and SWIFT wouldn't dare to take action. The complicated scenario is that it may leave SWIFT in a very difficult position of not being able to abide by the various different regulators and institutions that compel obedience from it. And that's why people here say that it's going towards a, a diplomatic train wreck. That was Rula Kalaf talking to Najme Bazorgmer, Katrina Manson and Michael Peel. We'll be back with another news feature tomorrow. In the meantime, look out for our brand new news headline show, FT News Briefing, which you can find on all the usual podcast platforms and at ft.com slash podcasts. <laughs>